0: and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started.
1: My name is Adam Homie. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. We are going to have a conversation about a topic that I think is especially pertinent In this day and age where we have different waves of economic uncertainty, we have abrupt and dramatic changes in the economy that we could not have even foreseen 18 months to two years ago. So what we're going to cover today is a topic that I've been asked for by so many of our listeners, and it's about how to maximize your profitability without hustling or or cutting back, without hustling or cutting back. Now, I have two guests here. This is actually going to be a little bit of a panel discussion. I have Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. Uh, you know what? I'm goofing this up. Bruce, did I pronounce your name correctly?
2: That was awesome. Most people don't pronounce it per- correctly. You did it.
1: I'm still going to do, do the intro over again, so hang on one <laughs> second. Okay, this time I'll get it 1,000%. My name is Adam Homey, I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. We have a topic today that has been very much in demand by listeners of the Business Creators Radio Show, especially in these very interesting economic times where we continue to be amazed by the things that are happening that we could not have predicted 18 months to two years ago. Just when we think that we finally gotten to the point where nothing else can surprise us and nothing else can amaze us, the powers of the universe take that statement as a challenge rather than an invitation. What we're going to cover today, and this is really evergreen when it comes to the world of entrepreneurship and business creation, is how to maximize your profitability without hustling or cutting back. And we're going to learn some keys to doing that. So we have with us today two very distinguished individuals. We have Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner, and they are going to speak with us about this whole topic of maximizing your profitability without hustling or cutting back. So the money advantage, which is what they work with, is a team of financial freedom architects for wealth creators. And using their three-step roadmap, you maximize your money by keeping more of what you make, protecting it, and turning it into cash flowing assets. Their family office model brings you the concierge service, usually reserved for the ultra-wealthy. In other words, a team of licensed professionals that coordinate every part of your financial life. This includes strategies for cash flow, long-term tax reduction, estate and business legal planning, creative whole life insurance strategies, privatized banking, and alternative investments. You've got my antenna up with privatized banking and alternative investments, and we'll get there shortly. But first of all, Rachel and Bruce, come on in. The weather's fine.
3: Awesome, thank you, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Great, Adam. It's always great to to uh, be with an excited host. Of course, we have to do some obligatory disclosures on our end. You know, we this is here for uh, educational purposes only. Yep. And uh, our my broker dealer, Kalos Capital, is not endorsing anything we're we're talking about today. We are just going to talk about things in general. And if we do happen to talk about something uh, that people construe as being specific you really need to get to your own professional people or reach out for an individual consultation with us
1: all right Is that the whole thing
2: that's the whole thing buddy
1: yep and that's and it's very important that we understand that with any form of of business education that little disclaimer should be there in the in the back of somebody's mind they on websites we have our Privacy policies, our terms and conditions, and our disclaimers. So the terms and conditions and the website giveth, and the disclaimer taketh away is what they like to say. Exactly. So by the time, so the, by the time you're done officially, it's legally entertainment value. So I certainly appreciate where you're coming from, and I do urge everybody when it comes to your money, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your wealth building strategy and your wealth protection strategy always do your due diligence, always do your full research, and always make the decision that aligns with your truth for your reasons. Don't just listen to a marketing pitch. Listen to a professional with experience who understands how it works and has your interests in mind. Now, before we get Amen. into the topic of today's, top, of today's discussion, uh, could you guys just tell us, tell us a bit in your own words about what's brought you guys to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion?
3: Well, that is an excellent question. And I love that you talk about creating business. So we'll right. talk a little bit about why we created this business. So <clears throat> my husband and I, not Bruce, Bruce's business partner and right. co-owner. But my husband and I, Lucas and Rachel, decided we really love the idea of being able to create some kind of business and investments after reading Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm sure probably all of your audience is familiar with this book, right? Yep. So the idea of being able to move over to the right side of the quadrant and have money working for you, not just trading time for money, not just being an employee, but really also not just being self-employed either, where you're still trading time for money. So we had this idea, let's start a business. And ultimately we found the opportunity when I had my first daughter and I was a stay at home mom. I said, Hey, I can have all this time on my hands and let me go ahead and start a business that landed us into the health insurance sphere, which then helped us to understand a little bit more about insurance in a broader perspective and really helped us to focus on figuring out what we needed to do personally to maximize our cash flow and be in financial control. And so that really led us to helping people with their money and really optimizing their financial strategy in their life, which led us to meeting Bruce and the team over at E3 in St. Louis. I'm in Virginia. And that relationship really turned into a way for us to be able to provide additional content and value for people who were saying, Hey, I'm making money, but how do I not just make money? How do I create wealth? And I'm sure, I mean, we could tell the story in any version and tell all of the nuances, but really the, the point of the money advantage is to be able to help specifically business owners be in a position of financial control so that they can truly have financial freedom and create a business they love, but also use that business to create wealth.
1: That's great.
2: Yeah, and so Adam. Then we actually got together, and uh, they actually reached out to me. And I was, for the lack of a better uh, term, and and because I'm quite a bit older, they were they were looking for I guess a mentor. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was mentoring them uh, for a while. And then Lucas one day said, "Hey, we're thinking about doing a podcast. Do you want to do you want to do this?" And that's a uh, close to 200 podcasts ago that we've been looking to help. Uh, entrepreneurs um, grow their businesses in a non-painful way, and you know when you think about it, you were talking about uh, all your your listeners, so on and so forth. And this whole podcast area has really exploded, and yep. there's information is plentiful on the internet and on on podcasts, but there's still wisdom that's lacking, and the wisdom is is the implementation of efficiency uh, efficiently using that information. And so what I've learned over my career is there's business owners and there's entrepreneurs. And what I've also noticed is that people are trying to distinguish them. And the way I distinguish them is a business owner is somebody who's bought themselves a job and they don't, they're oftentimes the lowest paid person in the business. And they're not, they, they have no way to constantly be trying to innovate in the, uh, in the business to then grow all their services and thus become more successful. Where an entrepreneur right. actually is constantly looking to innovate, have better ways to do, do it, and getting most, more likely whether they use this term or not, it's about using unique ability teamwork within their organization because that allows each individual to maximize what they give to that particular organization. And and that's what gets me excited is when you're working with an entrepreneur that is just reaching out there and saying, I'm looking for efficiencies. I'm looking for efficiencies. Can you help me? And that's what we try to do with, with the money aspect of it, controlling your, your money aspect.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a big thing. And many of our listeners Tune into Business Creators Radio right at the point where they're moving from having a solopreneurial venture or being a business owner to making that transition to having a leveraged entrepreneurial venture where they are smartly and intelligently outsourcing or team building as the case may be. And, mm-hmm. that, and there's so much information out there. You yourself said there's a plethora of information, but it's a question of where the value is and mm-hmm. where the applicability is. When I was making that transition myself, I went to all these webinars. This was back in the day when it was webinars and teleseminars. Podcasting was just getting started. And I would hear that I needed to immediately hire three web designers, two web developers, an IT department. I needed four bookkeepers, six virtual assistants, two people to manage my social media, a copywriter, a copy editor, a book ghostwriter, and a developmental editor. And I need to hire those people right right now.
2: Right. Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, because 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 me doing literally any work at all, my whole life was just wasting away.
2: Yes.
1: (laughs) And I've seen people take that advice. And Uh back in the day when I had a web development firm, we had clients who brought us on. And even after all the preliminary conversations, even after having them complete an intake assessment, once we got there, there there's really no understanding of why we were there. They were just Mm. told that they were supposed to hire people like us. Mm -hmm. Well, what does that that really mean? So I think that's a really important consideration. And what I've seen you do with your podcast, I've had a chance to check it out. And it just turns out that several of your guests have also been guests on this show. It's a relatively small world. And Mm. what I love about what you're doing here is how you look at various angles of how to be smart about your money and your personal finance for the entrepreneurially minded. I have mm-hmm. got to give great praise to what you're doing here. I think it's amazing. And what I'd like to do now is dive a little bit into what it is that we are looking to accomplish here today. So you, know, you guys do privatized banking. Uh, you also have this thing called infinite banking. So the thing is, is I'm not exactly sure where to begin. So we're going to just take this as sort of a natural sort of thing. And our listeners know that tuning into our episodes is like listening in on a private mastermind conversation. So have your pad of paper and two pens out. So I'm going to give you some prompts and you guys are just going to roll with it. And I've seen your stuff and I know that our listeners are going to love it. So actually, let's just start at the end and work backwards. Uh, You mentioned that there are three keys to maximizing profitability without hustling or cutting back. So let's start there. People feel like they're in a situation these days where they got to hustle to make ends meet, even if things are supposedly going well. And you ask them, cutting back? Well, I can't cut back anymore because if I cut back anymore, then I got to go back to doing things myself. I go from entrepreneur to business owner. So what are we going to do here? How are, we, how are we fixing this?
3: Well, I think what's really interesting is that we talk to people on a regular basis that would say, you know, I make a good income but I'm not moving as quickly as quickly as I'd like to forward towards having retirement or a yeah. sense of financial control, or I, I'm just not making the progress that I'm wanting in my financial life. And I think what really happens is that there's a disconnect between making the money and then really turning it into wealth. So when we're talking here about the idea of maximizing profitability, I, I really would go back to the first key is that you need to focus on profit first. I'm going to give a huge shout out to Mike Michalowicz, who we've had on our podcast multiple times. And he talks about, you really want to have profit minus expenses equals, well, why why am I forgetting here? Oh, profit (laughs) (laughs) minus expenses equals income. Normally you're going to have your income and then you're going to go ahead and take out your expenses and what's left over is the profit. But what you want to do instead is start from income minus Profit. That's your expenses. That's what you have to be able to spend. And you want to be in a position where you're saying, how do I portion out the profit first from whatever I'm making, even if you're starting really small. And Adam, I know that you talk about mindset on your show and that mindset is really key to being able to be profitable because it can be really easy to just have all of these bleeds in our business as in our personal life, where we end up spending everything that we make. And that's called Parkinson's law, where Uh we have more income coming in. And now all of a sudden we need a bigger car and we need a bigger house and we need to flaunt that wealth a little bit more. And we need to hire all these things and we need better technology in the business. And before you know it, all of that income has not actually got you any closer to your Ultimate goal, which is truly financial freedom. So I would say the first key is to recognize that profit is something that you should take starting right now, not waiting until you have a certain revenue target or a certain threshold before you start taking profit.
2: Yeah, and the way that that can be accomplished, because Adam, like you said, it's a it's human behavior. So people are all we we've been taught that all this is a grind you know, starting a business is a grind. Don't, don't expect any profit for five years and most businesses fail and you're going to grind through this. And so I really believe there's some self-fulfilling prophecies that happen with this, with this. And so you have to overcome that mindset. And, and what you really need to do is, as as Rachel said is, and she doesn't mean like just figure it on a piece of paper. She, we're actually talking about setting up bank accounts where you're taking revenue and a, a percentage of the revenue and putting it into a profit account right away. Because what happens in mm-hmm. businesses, if you do not get that kind of idea, then all of a sudden overhead costs grow. And you don't even know why they grow. Uh, but it's yeah. because of human behavior. It's like, oh, we have a little bit. Oh, we had this great week. Why don't we do this to, and we will actually sell more of that and you and you don't even do the research to see if it's going to happen. or uh-huh. Or they say, okay, we need this item like in a dental practice, we need this item. And oh yeah, we only need about uh, three dozen of them to get us through 90 days. But if we buy if we buy 10 dozen of them, we actually get a a, a price break on that, but those 10 dozen might, might uh, last you for a year and a half, but you've sucked cash flow out of the business uh, in, in, in literally a one week time period. And so <laughs> yeah. those are the kind of things that we talk about. You can do this without even the pain of saying, Oh, I got to cut back. I got to cut back. You just have to look at what we call cash flow awareness. You have to be aware where your cash is flowing. And and as you know, as talking to entrepreneurs and especially business owners, is they are trying to do everything within their business, and that doesn't allow them to work on the business, it only allows them to work in the business. So that's what we're talking about as far as taking profit first.
1: And if you're doing too much working in the business, then you don't have the energy to work on the business. It goes back to the analogy of the cobblers, children who go barefoot.
2: And Mm -hmm. when you
1: mentioned how you know, companies or ventures may have a good week. So they say, oh, let's go get some stuff. I immediately thought of a cartoon. It was very popular in the training and development space around 2003 when e-learning was first getting hot. And mm-hmm. it showed the director of training and development in the CFO's office or the CEO's office, I can't remember which. And the the C person sitting behind the desk said, oh, this e-learning thing. Well, I don't know what it is, but if our competitor has one, Order two of them. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. and and I think and what I immediately thought of is sometimes that's about the level of this thought that goes into decision making. It's like, well, our competition has one, so we're gonna have two, or our competition does it, so let's do it too. Or hey, I saw I just saw this ad on my LinkedIn or my Facebook, and this guy uh he's talking about uh, he's talking about optimizing our copy. This this woman, she's She's talking about uh, how to increase our cash flow through our direct messaging strategy. we got to buy that right now and have it implemented by Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I, In my early days as an entrepreneur, one of my first clients uh, wanted to get involved in uh, purchasing Google advertising. Uh, this was at the tail end of what was known as the Google Party. And he had this idea that I could do it and I have about as much interest in social media advertising as I do in lobotomizing myself with a butter knife without anesthesia. I'm not even <laughs> interested in hiring somebody to do it for me, much less even being involved with it. And, uh, his assignment to me, which I did not fulfill because it was literally impossible. is he said, uh, I need you to become an expert within 24 hours on Google advertising. Cause we need ads running by Thursday.
2: Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anybody
1: who's actually tried to place a Google ad knows that the moment you think you have a timeline, you don't. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And there's no such
3: thing as 24 hour expertise.
1: Right. Precisely. Precisely. So I think they move the the
2: goalposts too. Well, and they're in Google, Facebook, Instagram, they're all moving the goalposts constantly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think I heard two of the keys. Is there one more?
3: Um, so yes, so we'll, we'll put this into these three. I'm actually going to use this as a, a little bit of a springboard as well, but I think that what's really important in recognizing that you need to maximize profitability is having a different mindset because <clears throat> the typical financial mindset is this, make the money, invest the money, get to a certain dollar n- net worth, And oh, by the way, when I get there, I've arrived. Now, what do I do? Now I have to figure out how to use this lump sum of cash to make it from today until the end of my life without running out of cash, hopefully still leave a legacy for my kids. And hopefully, you know, maybe I even reverse mortgage the house, but I don't wanna end up with no money. And I certainly don't wanna run out before I run out of days. And the challenge with that way of thinking is that In order to maximize your profitability, if you're thinking just from a standpoint of here's the money I make and here's what I invest, you're not thinking holistically about how to increase the income in the first place. Because really what you need to be doing is not just figuring out how to save more of the money you make, because I mean, that is a big part of it. It's a big part of financial responsibility and being a good steward to have good sound money habits and to save a portion of the money you make, no matter if you're making 50,000 a year or $50 million a year, it really is a portion of, of self-control and, and, um, and being responsible with your money so that you can turn it into something. But even more than just saving more, what you really want to focus on doing is increasing your income because, and Bruce has a beautiful way of of talking about this as well. But if you just focus on the, the bar of how much net worth you need at some point in your life, you're missing the idea that today I can start putting cash into cash flowing assets so that I can increase my income, which then allows me to move faster towards financial freedom, which really is a position of having income from your assets that's bigger than your expenses. And I mentioned a springboard, so I'm gonna go ahead and um, take a big leap here. You mentioned something (laughs) earlier. Okay, so you said something earlier where the challenge can be, you're hiring all these people and it's just because everyone said you need all these experts. Now the problem is we need to focus on a problem and I'm sure that anybody who's listened to your show probably knows this already. In business, you are solving a problem for someone else. Yes. We also need to figure out, figure out how to solve our own problems. And we can't just have a solution without a problem to begin with. And so Correct. unless there's a problem, there's nothing that we can do to improve it. But if we start saying, okay, well, the problem is I don't want to run out of money. Well, now we have a thing that we're trying to solve and we can say our goal is now, well, let me create as much income as possible. That's something that is doable. So we need to first shift the mindset from that typical way of thinking of just a net worth that we need to achieve to really thinking about income, increasing income now with cash flowing assets. But that problem, I will, I can um, also, I'd love to share how I came personally across the need for liquidity in my business, which was a huge part of maximizing everything that i'm doing with my cash including profitability. Right. So, long story short, my husband and i got into business. This was back in 2012 right after our daughter was born. And what's interesting about that time frame is that we had been what i would say good financial stewards. We were saving money, we were saving actually close to half of everything we made. The problem was that we were saving in a tool that was not producing cash flow and it was not even exactly a good store of cash. We were thinking, well, this is for economic turmoil way down in the future, 20 years from now, if the dollar collapses, if uh-huh. if there's so much turbulence and you know we had come out of 2008, we had come out of a lot of economic uncertainty and we we're looking at, well, what if that kind of a situation happens again? How can we be in a good financial position? So we were just saving. We were saving in precious metals, which was gold and silver right, for a while. Price is going up and everything is good. And we're thinking, oh, we're putting this X amount of dollars in and we're seeing our value increase beyond what we put in. Well, then we start a business and we realize, well, now we actually do have a need to use some of the cash that we had planned to just hold and save for 20, 30 years. Uh So now we're in a position where we said, "Mm, we need to take that cash and convert that into cash flow in a business. But now it wasn't very liquid because we had to go find a place to sell it And you're selling for less than than at the time the price was about in half of the value we purchased. And so we were selling for significantly less than we bought it for. And we realized at that specific moment that we needed liquidity. We needed cash we could access and use. And so what I would say the message that I'm really wanting any business owner to hear is that if you are going to maximize your profitability, you can't just make money spend it all on inventory, or even invest it all for the future, you need to have a place that you're storing cash that you can access and use because the key to really building financial freedom is having cash that's accessible for opportunities that you're going to need to seize along the way.
1: Yeah. Uh, You know, this may seem off topic, but just give me a minute. And I think, uh, think you'll see the linkage. I was thinking of how our programming on this and how it pertains to our mindset gets messed up from the very beginning. And I have a brief personal story here. Some of our (laughs) listeners have heard variations of this before. So yes, for those who tune in every week, I'm going to tell you again about my 1988 Chevrolet Camaro. I bought this car in 1994, the week I went to college. And my plan for it was to build it into a system car, which means I was going to put in a rad competition level stereo system. For two years, I... uh, had my part-time job that I saved a lot of the money from, what I go you know, what I didn't use for entertainment in college. And I bought the components of it piecemeal. I had some friends on the Auto Sound competition circuit and like every three months, they were dumping their state-of-the-art equipment on the market for 10 cents on the dollar because uh, some other company just released the latest version of subwoofers they should have. And they were looking for that extra one SPL. But hey, I just wanted the thing to boom really loud, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. I spent two years... Building this huge, I'm going to use the word inventory because the analogy actually applies, Uh, Mm -hmm. but it's actually just a stack of all the components of the system. And I kept it up in my bedroom to the point where I had everything I needed to install it. Now, I heard throughout this whole thing that I should just give up the project, that what I really needed to do was sell that junk and put my money in a Roth IRA. And then I and then uh, and then as I was uh, getting involved in the understanding of how car stereo systems work, this was the mid 1990s, and internet marketing was just starting to come into its own. I saw some opportunities where I could get in on that marketplace and potentially become a reseller of custom interior accessories for uh, third-generation F-body cars from General Motors. That's your Camaros and your Firebirds. For you know that. For mm-hmm. people want to build competition systems. And the design of that car with the with the hatchback uh, and the gla- and the curved glass is actually really good for creating a band pass effect, which is why those cars were so popular. The same mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like with Honda, you know, Honda's were very popular because they had really good factory insulation, so a couple of different reasons, but anyway, there's a big market for this, and um and I thought about getting into it. I just didn't have the equipment to quite understand entrepreneurship and what it would mean to become a reseller or a distributor or how to build relationships with local installers or whatever it was. I I just didn't have it and I didn't even know what questions to ask. Uh, But I did have the ideas and I thought that I was going to get out of my part-time fast food job and move into this. And I kept hearing, what you need to do is take all that money and put it into a Roth IRA and stop chasing these get-rich-quick schemes. If somebody mentions the fricking phrase Roth IRA to me one more time in my life, <laughs> and I have one is the best part. Uh, is uh, is <laughs> Goodness gracious. Now, the programming issues were, is I we may have picked up in my little story there, is I was already getting an inkling of, the importance or the value of generating revenue because i'm mm-hmm. thinking i'm thinking i have this avocation or hobby that's really exciting to me and I, hey if I, I i have i'm probably no more than half a step removed from a market where i could link a buyer to a seller and make real money off of this i just don't know how and i don't know who to ask to help me mm. that's pretty much all it was now imagine if i had gotten some more feedback along the lines of, oh, that's interesting. So you want to sell custom kick panels for the for the third generation Camaro Firebird? Yeah, that's a real issue with the way they put their four by sixes up on that tall bash. Uh, yeah. So if you were to become a distributor for this company that sells them, you could do X, Y, and Z, and you could make yourself a nice piece of revenue simply by having a website with a payment link up. Okay. Mm. Uh, if I if only I knew the answers to those questions back then. Uh, but the but the issue is is, I was told that I should take money and I, I was told that I should take something I was extremely passionate about and just cash out and put the money somewhere. Now mm-hmm. and and then I was also told uh, I was also given a lot of pressure that I should quote unquote enjoy college, which means don't have a part-time job while I'm in college. Well, mm-hmm. I went to Penn State. Do you think you, do you think you can make it through Thursday night at Penn State without an income? <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I was, I was thinking, I was thinking I don't have to, I don't want, I don't want to worry about my beer money. So yeah. that's really what the idea of having a part-time job was about so that i could fund my thursday night my friday night my saturday night and, you know et cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera. and i didn't have to eat in the dining commons every day that was my bottom line i just wanted to be able to enjoy those little things without having to stress over it and if uh and if working in the dining commons three lunches a week and making 120 bucks a week doing so was the thing to fill the gap what was so bad about that in fact in a way i'm thinking of this is cool now i can just generate the money on an ongoing basis Rather than tapping into my savings accounts. this mm-hmm. this this works for me.
2: Uh, yes.
1: So, but again, but again, it was that whole misguided thing that somehow having a part-time job was tapping in and ruining my enjoyment of college. I should be enjoying. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot more when I didn't have to worry about how to come up with money for my Captain and Coke ten o'clock Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> and I and yeah. I and I think this I think this kind of comes back to the to the main theme of in the title of our conversation here maximizing profitability without hustling or cutting back. Uh, not going out on Thursday night was not an option for me.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. and, and, I, that, would
1: have, and that, that would have been my cutting back right. if I'd have yep. been forced to quote unquote cut back. That wasn't happening.
2: Correct. And and you're absolutely right. So, you know, you, you brought up a lot of ideas uh, that I have when we talk on, uh, with different people, not only on these podcasts, but also I'm a, uh, in the St. Louis Business Club, and we have a mastermind discussion like this all the time. And I'm just going to tell you what happened. You know, we've only been in the financial services industry the way people think about it. And I bet a lot of your listeners are 40 years old and less.
1: That's about right.
2: Uh, yeah. And uh, the, the, it really only came to be after 1979 when the 401k came about. Yes. So, so it's only been around for about 40 years. And really only in about the last 30 years has it ramped up. And so here's what they try to do in the, in the industry. And by the way, I'm a financial advisor. So I'm a part of this industry, but we, we like to look at things differently. Do so, you need to
1: read your disclaimer again?
2: No, I don't. <laughs> uh, but, here, but here's the deal. Uh, you know, what, what they're always t- attempting to do is to systematically take money out of your paycheck or from, you, uh, from an entrepreneur systematically then hold it for as long as possible, and then trickle it back to you in some form of retirement as little as possible, because they're trying to scare you that you're going to run out of money. Yes. So I'm going to give your listeners an example. I'm working with a, a very successful restaurant, um, the Money advantages, is, uh, in the Boston area, where there's two brothers own it, and they pull about Three hundred fifty thousand dollars a piece of profit for them out of the out of the restaurant a piece, and they're uh-huh. thinking about they're thinking about selling for one point eight million a piece. Well, then he turns to me and says, "Okay, I'm going to have you take that one point eight million dollars, and I need you to generate, you know, my retirement." And I'm like, "Well, let's just think about this. If we can get a safe rate of return." What would, you, what would you think we could get as a rate of return? And he goes, well, I was hoping we could get 7%. And I'm like, okay, your $1.8 million at 7% is, well, my calculator, I want to make sure I have this, $126,000. So he's going to take a $225,000 pay cut. So I said, well, hey, Dan, what, what about this? What if you instead... You went out and found the brightest person you could find and you paid them as your um, mentor or you were the mentor, I said the mentee, you paid them seventy-five dollars to $100,000 to do the things that you don't want to do. And then you just keep living, you and your brother just keep living off that income. Yeah, you're going to have an additional expense, but now instead of only having about $126,000 a year, you're gonna have that hundred minus a three, you're gonna have two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You're gonna double your income. Now, the the uh, the the investment industry would say, You're crazy, you just gave and I'm not a saint, Adam, by any by any means, but they, they are gonna uh-huh. say you're crazy. You could have had a you could have one point eight million dollars under your control and made fees off of it and commissions off of it, and so on and so forth. But that's not that's not what's important here, that the, the $1.8 million is just a pile of cash that you're trying to hope is going to grow. We call it buy, hold, and hope. Yes. Where, where they already know the cash flow works. So why not just continue to live off that cash flow for as long as possible and then have a integrated resource network of financial professionals that can make sure that all that cash flow doesn't slip through the cracks in the wrong position. And that's what we were talking about, maximizing profitability and not hustling. So now all of a sudden, Dan and his brother can actually not hustle as much. They can cut back. They can actually feel good about mentoring this particular person and growing the business with new ideas, with the wisdom that they've, what they've occurred, you know, over their lifetime. Yeah. So and so now, all you have to do is is continue to build the efficiency of the other things. Now, what are the other things? Well, you have estate planning, you have uh, a debt, you have debt uh, analysis. You're going to have things like P and C insurance analysis. You're going to have uh, legacy planning, which is different than estate planning. You're going to have to have asset protection planning. And you're, you need somebody to coordinate all this. I, I tell people all the time, well, and also you should have tax planning. And by the way, yeah. CPAs are some of the worst people as far as ruining cash flow. And people think they're on the same level as priests. And when I when I say that, I mean, priests and CPAs can never do anything wrong.
1: I know, I know, I know what you're talking about. I'm very blessed to have a CPA of my own who actually understands tax planning in addition to tax avoidance. So Mm, uh, sometimes even even that small little difference right there sometimes is all the difference because I know a lot of CPAs that that's all they're concerned about is making sure that your stuff is filed correctly and uh, trying to lower your taxes. I'm very blessed to have a CPA who actually works with me to look at my cash flow and how to structure the taxes I'm going to owe around. Income and how to reposition that. Uh, there are other places I could go with it, but it's very helpful to my business.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and, and it's just coming. It's just coming up because September fifteenth is the extension deadline for the the uh, business businesses um, right. ex- that extend it. And here's what's going to happen. It happens all the time. Your CPA is uh, you know preparing the business uh, tax return, and they say you know you're going to owe this much in taxes this year. And uh-huh. then you say, "Oh my God, I can't believe!" Is there anything we can do? And they say, "Oh yeah, you need to go out and buy this sixty thousand dollars piece of equipment, uh-huh. and that'll save you twenty thousand dollars in taxes." And but then, of course, you have to have the lease payment or the or the uh, the note payment on the sixty thousand dollars piece of equipment that actually draws away from the cash flow. Instead, you could have just paid the twenty thousand dollars of tax or. Done some other things that are legal tax mitigation. If you yeah. would have, if you would have coordinated with an with an, an investment advisor that does an alternative investments, uh-huh. and th- they are le- very legal ways to do this, but people don't know about them because because the traditional financial services industry doesn't want you to give up the assets under management because that's their. Cash flow. That's what's so odd about this. The right. traditional investment advisor is trying to get as much assets under man, man, management because that's their cash flow every month.
1: Right. Well, I, right. And I have enough money in that market to keep my hand in, but that's not what our primary growth objective is.
2: Yeah. And, you should, and there should be diversif- diversification yeah. in everything you do in your life, including your businesses, in, in yeah. my opinion. So, what Rachel and I do then with people is we say, hey, what's the foundation? of what you're trying what, what everybody should be trying to accomplish and we believe it's not only control which is in some which is in some uh, respects is exactly what we're talking about the next thing and that's risk mitigation because risk mitigation can come in a variety of forms but there's no better companies to decide what that are that those risk mitigations are than insurance companies cuz cuz they're in that business of doing it every day so one of the things that we, have, we, have, we start with all the time is an analysis of where you, all your money's laying and the purpose of all this money. And yeah. then we go through a cash flow awareness exercise. And then we go through a risk mitigation exercise. And then we determine where is the best place that your money can lay so that you have safety, liquidity, and growth in a, in a way that can benefit your business and the best place that we have found in today's low interest rate environment is specially designed whole life insurance contracts and, and it's often referred to as infinite banking but other people refer, we refer to it as privatized banking or bank on yourself or so on and so forth. and I tell people don't even get don't, don't get fooled by all these other monikers. You should just go to the source was the Nelson Nash Institute, which Nelson coined this strategy as the infinite banking concept. And the reason he he said that is there's an infinite creative ways to use it. And you're turning your money Uh over to one of the greatest institutions on the planet, and that's insurance companies that take care of people's monies better than Wall Street, better than the banks, better than institutional uh, investments better than endowments, so on and so forth. And so that's wh- that's how we show them to gain better control with their with their assets.
1: Yeah, I think that's great, and I appreciate you defining infinite banking. You know, I, I remember when I was in the third or fourth grade, and we were given an assignment in class, and the, and the question was as follows: If you won a million dollars in the lottery today, what would you do with the money? Now, I turned in. Now, I turned in my answer which was, and again, you have to remember, I was on about the third or fourth grade. And I certainly wasn't a financial advisor. And I didn't know nothing from nothing. And I didn't even understand that you give half of that to the government before you even see it. Right. However, however, here's what I came up with. Well, at a million dollars, 3% of that is 30,000. Wow. I can easily get 3% through uh, CDs, because I, I already had CDs, they were gifts from right. relatives and things like that. And and then I can take my first Holy communion money and I can put it in the bank and begin getting interest off my savings account. Cause what I was thinking of is I was thinking of is not having to work basically. Mm-hmm. Now I found out very quickly that the only acceptable answer to that question was that I was supposed to make a list of all the people that I would give the money to with specific dollar amounts. And I had to give away all of it. The idea that I could even have money was evil. People like me didn't get money. And, uh, this is the way the question was phrased. If you won a million dollars in the lottery, well, what if I started a business and I made a million dollars that way? What if I was really successful in my career and I got a mm-hmm. million dollar paycheck? What if I turned out to be a star athlete and got a million dollar contract? Oh, no, no, that doesn't happen for folks like you.
2: Mm-hmm. So they're already,
1: they're already they're setting us up with this idea that somebody else holds our money and we have to be grateful for even granted a trickle of it.
2: Hey, Adam, yeah. uh, I went all the way through Catholic schools and yep. then I, ta- I taught in Catholic school for 17 years. So uh-huh. I got about 30 years of that experience before I got into this profession. And I bet you they also told you when you were voting on class president and so you can't vote for yourself because you got to give you just got to give yourself, give yourself, because that's the way that a person is. And that's a very scarcity mindset type of thing.
1: Oh, that's correct. We could not vote for ourselves. And if we want to speak about, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, all the stuff we're talking about and politicians. Now, I don't want to get into the debate of uh, presidential candidates releasing their tax returns, except to tell you where it came from. Uh, if you go back to the election of 1952, we remember uh, Richard Nixon, the allegations that he had a slush fund, then he did the checkers speech. He mm-hmm. released all his tax returns, which showed that uh, Tricky Dick was squeaky clean on that one. Uh, then, uh, then the Democratic candidates uh, Stevenson, whoever the vice presidential candidate was, released their tax returns, and then Dwight D. Eisenhower, who's the Republican candidate for president, was so angry that his running mate Nixon had uh, had released his tax returns. Witnesses in the room said that he was able to take his pencil and jab it all the way through his notepad and have it come out the other side. <laughs> and then he ran in the other room and slammed the door so hard that one of the hinges came loose. <laughs> the reason why is very simple. The reason why is very simple. After World War II and and uh, his experience as Supreme Commander the uh, Allied Expeditionary Force, through all the stuff he did, is uh, his high military posts, uh, president Columbia University, his autobiography. Uh, his speaking engagements and his his royalties and everything else, he had gone from being that poor Kansas farm boy to a millionaire. Mm -hmm. And he understood something that so many people don't, unless they're in this conversation here or they understand what we're talking about. Taxation strategies for the rich, tax mitigation strategies. Eisenhower Mm -hmm. understood that the average American voter would never understand that he employed tax strategies for the rich, writ- for the rich to lessen his tax burden, and he was just another one of those greedy freaking millionaires. Mm-hmm. Because he, because they would not understand that people at his level did not just simply file their 1040EZ. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and reg- regardless of what you think of uh, of Donald Trump's residence reticence to release his tax returns, um, and this you know I don't really want to debate this. I've have i have had a theory about this for a long time. Is that? And uh, yeah, you know, remember in the '80s and '90s when the real estate thing happened, he took a bath and he was $82 million upside down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I believe that he amortized. I believe that he amortized or mitigated his own income so much that it took 30 years to make up for it. So he probably spent 30 years paying a nominal one dollar tax.
2: That's yeah, what exactly. I believe
1: happened. And the American voters wouldn't understand that. Now, where the sources of his money came from and and, uh, German banks and everything else, that's not, I think, what I'm getting at here. What I'm just saying is here you have somebody who's a billionaire and he's trying to explain to the typical American voter um, who's programmed with all this poverty mindset that Mm -hmm. he used a legal tax strategy to mitigate his tax liability so he could keep the lights on in his businesses. And they're mm-hmm. going to say, "Oh, he's another greedy billionaire, another crook."
2: Yeah, yeah and, you, that, you and that's what...
1: how people are programmed. That's why they have a yeah. hard time rising to this level. And this isn't right. about whether Trump is good or bad, or Nixon mm-hmm. was good or bad, or Eisenhower was good and bad. It's just—it's just a matter of that understanding at the base level, the basic level rather—that uh, is so poisoned. By this idea that you can't vote for yourself for class president, right. and if you <laughs> keep any of the money you want in the water, you're a greedy bastard.
3: Right. Yes. Actually, you know, it's interesting. We've had Rabbi Daniel Lapin on our show a couple times as well. He wrote a book called Thou Shall Prosper. And in that book, he gives 10 commandments for financial success. I'm not sure exactly what the tagline is, 10 commandments for wealth or something like that. And the idea, he actually talks about charity in one of them and how, I mean, charity is good and yes, you want to be able to give in that way, but he talks about there can be this mindset in a lot of people that when I give via charity, that is benevolent, but when I make money in my business, that's greedy. And he said, you know, the real truth is though at the foundation of true business, and you probably know this and intrinsically because you're talking about being a business creator. It's the same thing as being a wealth creator. You can't create something if you don't understand how to create it in the first place because you have to fundamentally provide for a need and provide value to people. Real businesses cannot exist by just ripping people off and being greedy. They right. exist by finding a need and satisfying the need of people and really understanding. I mean, we have amazing technology available to us because of businesses that were innovative and really thought about how they could provide value to people. And when you really think about it, that's what all business is. Fundamentally it's trading. Well, it's giving value and dollars are a result of that. So I think it's just, it's very interesting Um, as you're just talking about, there are strategies of tax mitigation. There are strategies of building wealth that the wealthy have used for a very long time that now that they're becoming a little bit more popular, like infinite banking, we're talking about that. A lot of people are using that almost even as a buzzword now, and I'm thankful that it's gaining traction, but it's not new. It's not this newfangled thing. It's that there are strategies and principles that the wealthy are aware of that, everybody can have access to if they're willing to open their their eyes and their mindset to be able to see them
1: right yeah i I agree entirely so you remember in that movie wall street when the the character played by michael douglas gordon gecko said that greed is good
2: Mm -hmm. he didn't oh yeah i mean i know that's what everybody quotes to be honest with you Uh i've never seen i've never seen the movie
1: yeah, I, I get people on this all the time. I ask them, what's that famous quote? And they say, greed is good. Well, mm-hmm. that's not what the character said. You can go back and watch the movie. And there's a hundred clips of that scene on YouTube. You can, uh, any of our listeners can go in 10 minutes when we're done, go look it up and see for yourself. What he said is greed for lack of a better word is good. There was a, there was a little bit of NLP in there that mm-hmm. he used mm-hmm. to change and shift the definition of what greed is. Because we were taught that, when if you brought if you brought candy to school and you got caught, the next day you had to bring a bag for everybody in the class because they have a candy bar for yourself was greedy. You had to share. Now, if you watch the rest of that speech after he says greed, for lack of a better word, is good. The gist of the message that comes after that is about the power of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and how mm-hmm. we often are able to be altruistic by understanding the hierarchy of needs and fulfilling the basic needs.
3: Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. And I think I have seen that movie. I am not good at memorizing movie lines or knowing who yeah. the characters are in there. So I'm like, I think I'm gonna have to go back and check out the clip anyways. But yeah. um, you know, it is just so interesting that the hierarchy of needs, I mean, I studied psychology as well. And I think there's, there's a piece of that, that if you have more, You're able to do more and you're able to be more fully experience life around you and give more to others and create better experiences for yourself, for your family, do more good in society, do more good for lots of people just by expanding who you are as a human. And what's interesting though, is that if you don't have enough money to be able to rise to that level on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you're in a position where all of your time and money is all spent on the basic needs. You don't have the time freed up to be able to live at that level of self-actualization at the top.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's, you can serve so much more from an overflowing cup than Absolutely. by giving your last time, going back to that parable in the in the Bible, the woman who gave her very last dime was somehow more righteous than the wealthy merchants who who made a big show of the huge amount of money they gave. Well, mm-hmm. those rich merchants that gave that huge amount of money fed a lot of poor kids,
3: mm-hmm. they absolutely did. Yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely. They, they were not. They were not evil. They were just in a different position.
3: Yeah, and you know what's interesting about this whole this whole concept of it is good to create wealth. It is good to create a legacy for your family. I think that message needs to be much more openly expect, accepted. And the only way to be able to make that more of a, a normal message is for people to, instead of preaching it, to be living it. And so I think um, really being able to show that it is possible to do so much good with wealth. Um, and then yeah. only only the people who want to see are going to see that anyways. Yeah. But, I-
1: Yeah, I believe it's a matter of uh, normalizing what you just said. Uh, I have a, when I do public speeches, I do a little social experiment in the room. I'm not going to explain what it is for lack of time here, but part of the social experiment is I have my test subjects take a personality quiz. And one of the questions on the personality quiz, and this is why I brought up the Gordon Gecko thing actually, is I ask the question, is greed good? And I give them three options. Yes, no. Define greed. And I can tell you, I've asked that question about eight times conducting the experiment. And off the top of my head, I'm going to say that maybe 80 to 85% of the respondents checked off Define greed. Oh, wow. I had a few that say, oh, absolutely, greed is bad. And then I had a few that said, no, greed is good. But Hmm. it's the fact that Define greed is... The number one with a bullet tells me that there's something in a lot of folks' minds, even if they don't have the language around it, even if they're still held back by some of the programming, that understands that there is something there about how being successful yourself is a good thing. And your success does not equal somebody else's failure. It's not a zero sum. In fact, a rising tide boys all ships.
3: Yes.
2: Yes. So go ahead. I was just to say, we do have a lot in common because a lot of our guests, we talk about this, these exact topics all the time. And we, you know, we have all kinds of strategies that we get into with people, but until you get their mindsets right, it, you you can talk strategy all day. They won't carry, they won't carry through with anything. Right. Mm-hmm.
3: And that's actually what I was going to share as well. It's it's interesting that at the at the bottom, the fundamental, the foundation piece of any financial move that anyone makes really is uh, the principle. What is the principle that is always true about money? And if you can find the principle, then you can figure out what is the best strategy to help me achieve that principle. And then after you know the principle, then you know the strategy you're trying to use, then you look for a financial product that's going to help you fulfill that strategy to be able to meet that principle. And it's just so interesting because most people instead just look at the superficial, the the product. Oh, this is the next best stock to invest in. This is the next best uh, Roth IRA, 401k, SEP IRA. And instead
2: Or I'm going going with this one because they have lower fees. Yes, Oh, this is a
3: better rate of return, yes. Better rate of return, yeah. And those things are, or, or they can even be derailed by this idea of, well, I guess I just need to pay off debt first. And if I'm going to pay off debt, I need to um, have the shortest mortgage possible. And I have to have the lowest interest rate possible. And I need to pay off any high interest credit cards or high interest loans first before I can do anything else financially. And the problem is there can be so many buzzwords and all this financial noise telling us Uh what product to focus on. And nobody is stopping to say, we need a strategy first. And the strategy can't just be a made up strategy. It needs to go back to principles. And the very beginning principle is that dollars follow value. You need to provide value first. And the next principle really is this idea of you want to be in a position of financial control. And that's where Bruce was talking about what the the financial institutions do. You don't have to be just a customer of the financial institution. You can act like the financial institution by holding cash as long as possible, giving up as little as possible, and being the person that earns interest, the person that earns cash flow, then you're in a position of true control.
1: Yeah, we're all all students of Robert Kiyosaki here, so... uh... You know, I I'll disclose myself. I I'm carrying a fair amount of credit card debt right now, both business and personal. And I'm in the process of figuring out how to eliminate that. Uh, My number one with the bullet is increasing cash flow and that's working out pretty good. So I'm on my way. And uh, but however, there's you a school of thought out there that's really the dumbed down version that says you got to scrimp and save and cut to the bone and pay off those credit cards because, damn it, they're ruining your life. And I mm-hmm. thought, wow, with this uh, credit card that I'm carrying, which is a five-digit number, oh, I'm I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I have a friend who's a wealth advisor, and uh, he, you know, we he did some coaching with me, and he had me get my detailed credit reports, which I was afraid to look at. Now, um, I'm not going to give specifics because, again, now we're getting into my personal information. But let's just say that um, all the indicators were green except the one that has to do with percentage of revolving debt utilized, which is, you know, to be expected when you're, you're hawked into the cards. Mm-hmm. Now, what's also interesting is simply paying them all off and starting with the highest balance and working your way down is not even thinking strategically. you got to look at all three reports from all three agencies, how the cards are being reported. Mm-hmm. And depending on what your truth and what your situation is, so I'm not going to give any examples. You can strategically choose to pay off, pay down, or leave alone mm-hmm. some of the balances because different combinations of how you deal with this can yield different results depending on what your goals are.
3: Yes. Yes. And I'll just add to that. In addition to looking at the credit report, we often will use something called a cash flow index. And this is something yeah. that anyone can use. You can look up on our website as well, or we can link to it if you're interested. But the cash flow index really is a way of looking at the balance of your total loan or credit card. Yep. Divided by the minimum monthly payment, and it will give you a, an amount. And usually, it's going to be between zero and a hundred. Sometimes over a hundred. But what that's going to do it's going to tell you if you did pay off this loan, how much cash flow is it going to free up in my daily or my monthly life? Yeah. For the for the thousand dollar per thousand dollars per thousand
2: dollars. Yeah. Of that exactly. total
3: debt. And so now you're thinking from a cash flow perspective because honestly the interest rate can be really misleading you can say well you know i just want to pay off the high interest first well that may not be the most effective and efficient way to increase your cash flow yeah. but again like you're saying adam it could be that your specific goal is to increase your credit score or it could be that your specific goal is to free up as much cash flow each month so you mm-hmm. have to know what are you trying to accomplish and then yes there's not a one size fits all blanket strategy But often, if you could, if anyone could increase the cash that they keep without scrimping and without cutting back, sometimes that just looks like paying debt differently.
1: Yeah. uh, I'll give one clue for our listeners is when you get those three detailed credit reports back, if you're an entrepreneur and you have cards that are called business credit cards, see which ones that you were told were business cards, but are actually tied to your social security number. Mm -hmm. And if you want to look at increasing credit scores, loosening cash flow, and if you have a limited liability company and your compensation structure for moving cash from the LLC to you personally, and however you mix that up, you can come up with all kinds of different formulas.
2: Yeah, we actually, and and Rachel's better at remembering this than I am, but we actually had a Person on the podcast, I don't know if it's been released or not, and he's an expert on actually getting business credit even before they uh, they start the business. And there is a misconception that you know you have to you have to do things personally in your business because you haven't established any business credit. And he has a, a a whole service around being able to do that for you, Rachel. Do you remember? Yeah, that's
3: Ty. Yeah, that's Ty Crandall with yeah, Ty Sweet.
2: Crandall. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. We had him too. Uh, he's oh, uh, awesome. Yeah, I can't remember when it was, but yeah, and I and I remember him, and I think a couple other people sharing that same thing. Like for yes. example, there are certain types of cards that you get. Uh, with certain supply companies. So maybe instead of getting your pens and your staplers from staples, you go with something like Uline or something like that, where you can get a business line of credit right away. I mean, they have pens, they have staplers, they have office chairs, they have computers. Why not get it from there?
3: Which then, as long as you're doing it with the right companies, then it can start reporting for your business's credit score, as opposed to just being attached and tied to your personal social security number.
1: Exactly. So, this leaves so many tantalizing things. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, I'd love to keep going forever and ever and ever. And maybe in a few months, we'll have you back to speak about some other things. Uh, that, that's a tantalizing possibility as well. But for right now, uh, Rachel and you know, Rachel and Bruce, if you could tell us uh, you know, how folks can connect with you and what you have for them, just so for those who are on the edge of their seat, ready to take the next step and find out what the answer to their situation is, how do you help?
3: Awesome. Well, I'll go ahead and let you know, you can go over to themoneyadvantage.com and we have everything available for you right there on the homepage. We have multiple options. One, if you've heard something about this infinite banking idea and you're interested in learning more, we have a quick and easy guide for investors that specifically walks through the, the basics of what infinite banking is and how it helps you boost investment returns without taking on additional risk. So great guide Totally free, accessible to anyone. You can grab that at themoneyadvantage.com. We also have the opportunity to get straight on our advisor calendar. And this would be if you're in a position of saying, I'm liking what I'm hearing about creating more cash flow, not just net worth. I'm wanting to have more cash to work with in my business. I'm wanting that family office model, this idea of coordinating all these different areas of my financial life so that I optimize everything that I'm doing so that I can accomplish the strategies and the goals that I have in place and solve the problems that I have in my business and my personal life that you can do by going again to themoneyadvantage.com And you can click on the button right on the homepage that will take you over to our advisor calendar. And that's for a 30-minute consultation. And that's just the opportunity to really start the conversation, find out if we're a good fit in working together and how we can help you. So those are available. Um, I also have a book coming out and that we don't have an official date, but that will be this fall. And the title of that book is Seven Generations. This is about leaving a lasting legacy. And so that's my story of really just creating a family legacy based on uh, almost dying about two years ago. And really what that did as a catalyst for me to really put foundations in place in estate planning life insurance, and then also really creating this family guidance system of mission, vision, values in our family that helped us to create a legacy. And we hope to help lots of families be able to create a legacy that way as well
1: out freaking standing. Uh, Thank you so much, Rachel and Bruce, for being with us so much here today. It has been an honor, and believe me, an education.
2: Thank you, Adam.
3: Thank you so much for having us, Adam. It's really been a pleasure for us.
0: We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show.